1: I didn't deal
2: with P, dude. <laughs> Teammates played great, and we um came out with the victory, you know? I'm just trying to really get my, my NBA 2K rating up. I just cannot take
0: I can't take
3: it. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do all the good day.
2: Welcome to the Road Wire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, May twenty second. Nick Whalen joined by James Anderson for the first time uh, in several weeks. We've—I don't want to say we've been slacking on the podcast, um, but your schedule is a lot different now with baseball in full swing. Uh, Alex Barutha is is in Spain right now. I've been in and out of the office, um, but I'm glad we get to sit down uh, before we get to to a long Memorial Day weekend quite a bit to get to. Um, don't want to spend too much time um, you know, on the East and Western Conference Finals, just because those have been covered in quite a bit of depth on just about every other NBA podcast out there. Uh, but I do want to talk uh, NBA Draft Combine, uh, which I was at in Chicago last week. Um, you know, fallout from that, what the NBA Draft is looking like, uh, as we're now under a month until until draft night on June 20th. Uh, But we can start with a little bit of of Western Conference Finals talk first. Um, The Warriors just don't lose when KD sits at this point. Um, To me, you know how I feel about this situation. I've I've made that known to you uh, pretty clearly since Durant uh, joined the Warriors a couple summers ago. Uh, But this was just a reminder, I think, to everyone of how good this team was uh before kevin durant joined and still is uh you know not having kevin durant having a diminished supporting cast compared to what they had uh when we last saw this iteration uh, of the warriors in 2016 i do think though that it's it's starting to get a little bit uh ridiculous as far as you know people i, I don't think anyone is seriously suggesting that the warriors are better without kd right uh
1: i don't think so i think that they are maybe more fun to watch without kd and therefore people kind of get all excited about them without kd because it's just more fun they're like a more Mm -hmm. fun team and they play this style that is sort of the style that everyone fell in love with like five six years ago and uh i mean like when steph goes off it's it's kind of the funnest thing to watch in basketball still to me is just like the that like eight minute stretch where steph Curry's just completely lethal and uh doing all kinds of crazy stuff and it's not really this team it's it's not like how good this team is it's how good those three players are because it's just uh it's really just draymond clay and steph being amazing together and being uh you know this isn't the draymond we saw Mm -mm. all season this is playoff draymond and and like clay and steph when KD was healthy during the season, just didn't really have any reason to perform at this level. And without him, they they need to, and they just are kind of reminding people just how good they are.
2: I saw, I forget who threw this out there on Twitter uh, last night or maybe two nights ago during the game. Um, They said, you know, the Warriors would be in bigger trouble if Draymond got hurt than Kevin Durant. And I I don't know if I fully believe that. I think it's a little bit matchup dependent, but there, there is an argument to be made that especially after what we've seen in this Portland series and at the end of the Houston series that Kevin Durant is maybe like the third most important player on the team, despite being the best player. If that makes sense.
1: Well, I, I mean, I still, I have a hard time like definitively saying that he's better than Steph Like I still have a hard time with that. I think that he, if I was ranking them, I'd probably rank KD first. But I just think, I think it's a mistake to just say unequivocally Kevin Durant's better than Mm -hmm. Steph Curry. Uh, But I do kind of agree. Like if I'm the Raptors or if I'm the Bucks, I think I like my chances more if it's KD, Clay, and Steph than and no Draymond because Draymond's their best Mm -hmm. defensive player. He's his defense allows KD to not have to be 100% locked in on that end of the court. Mm. And, you know, especially if you're a team like the Bucks, I think that, you know, with KD and without Draymond, I mean, to me that series is almost a toss-up. Uh, and and without KD and with Draymond, I would still take the Warriors' uh not like lock them in but I I would still bet on the Warriors to win that series without thinking twice about it
2: I think I I will be betting on Golden State to win the series regardless of who's available I think it's fair to assume that the three currently healthy Clay Steph and Draymond will be there I I don't know what to think about Durant's calf Uh, I don't think we're getting the full story on that Um, I also you know we also have a week until the finals start so things could certainly change but Even if Kevin Durant doesn't play in the finals, I think I would still pick the Warriors over Toronto or Milwaukee, which is an insane thing to say. That you're already without Boogie Cousins, then you take away the player who's probably currently the best player.
1: It's not insane to say. Why is it insane to say that you would take the Warriors? Well, no, it's not,
2: not insane to say. It's insane like the thought that you could lose the number one player in the world and still be favored over a potential you know team like Milwaukee was that was wire to wire the best team in the NBA. I'm saying I, I think it's rational to pick the Warriors and I'm saying it's insane that this can happen that they can lose the best player in the NBA and still be a somewhat comfortable favorite but in that the was finals. like
1: ever since KD went there that was just kind of baked into it that they right. could lose they could afford to lose him or Steph and they would still be the favorites like we've known and that for I like just, years are people
2: okay with that I you know I've never been okay with that I think you've been a little more comfortable with it than I've been
1: well I just love watching um the original Warriors right. play and so like I wasn't going to start Hating them because KD went there. Right. Uh, I think they're just more fun to watch without KD. uh So I'm. It's not like it's I, I was happy that he went there, but I don't hold it against them that he's there.
2: I I just don't like the idea. And again, I've said this a hundred times. Like, don't blame any of the current the the non KD Warriors. You know, like if you can get Kevin Durant on your team, you do it. If you're the Warriors front office and you can get Kevin Durant, of course you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I don't like the idea of the, this like in, just invincibility that they've gained.
1: I still don't think they I I mean I mean I'm I'm the only person that had the field over the Warriors like 3 months ago mm-hmm. when we did that round table and uh I still had the field over the Warriors coming into the playoffs. I would switch to the Warriors now that they've made the finals, sure. but I I don't regret having the field over them and I still think I would give uh both teams uh health permitting like as, as long as i mean Kawhi just looks like he's about to die in some of these games and so then he still <laughs> well, plays he does. well <laughs> then, and then he gets a steal and goes coast <laughs> yeah, to coast for yeah. a dunk and then grabs his d and then does right. it again two yeah. possessions later um but i i would still give these teams a puncher's chance yeah. against the warriors kind of no matter who's healthy just because i respect mm-hmm. the bucks and the raptors oh. that much and i think it's like if you look at the teams the warriors beat on this road to the playoffs I mean, the Ra- Raptors and Bucks are just so much better than all right. those teams. I think it's stupid to just say, "Well, mm-hmm. they swept the Blazers, so this finals is just going to be a joke." Right. I mean, I, I would take the Warriors, but I think it goes at least like five or six games.
2: I think they they'll struggle against a team like Milwaukee or Toronto relative to the Cleveland teams, obviously that they faced in the past, and even Houston and Cleveland. I think until this year are probably the, the "quote unquote" best teams that they've had to go through. I mean, those, especially the the Cleveland team that still had Kyrie and Kevin Love two finals ago um and Golden State ended up winning that series in 5 but that was that was a great great Cavaliers team they still they the Warriors don't struggle against teams that you know are so iso heavy you know they they mm-hmm. pretty much figured out LeBron you know in that series in 2017 and and to a much stronger degree in 2018 when he didn't have that same supporting cast um and I think you know they were pretty confident going into this past series against Houston even though there was a scare last year you know we we saw them kind of just let James Harden, you know, shoot shoot their way out of that series. And neither Toronto nor Milwaukee is going to play like that. You know, Milwaukee maybe to a – especially the offense that we've seen these last two games, maybe to a, a slightly lesser degree, it's kind of Giannis and everybody else. Um, but at least these teams have depth, and, you know, when that depth plays well, like like Toronto's has these last two games and like Milwaukee's has in game one and two, you know, that that's the type of team that I think could give Golden State a little more problems than the top-heavy teams that we've seen – um you know come up against them in these last couple of playoffs so i know you watched toronto milwaukee last night how did you feel you said you would flip-flop now you know to golden state versus the field in the finals how did you feel after game two which milwaukee won uh in milwaukee on friday like at, at that point i think that that's when you, you know there was kind of a 48 hour period before game three where you know the the bucks could maybe beat the warriors yeah, narrative you know really started proliferating and now you know a few days later that that doesn't seem quite as likely.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely would have said that that would have been a six game series at least after game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals and uh you know, I think it's to me the uh Raptors winning two in a row in Toronto says a little bit more about them than it does the Bucks. I think people were maybe myself included, sort of too quick to just assume that when the Bucks were up 2-0 that that was kind of a wrap on the series. Uh, you know, the Raptors still had this piece to play of putting Kawhi on Giannis, and they obviously didn't want to go to it until they had to for obvious reasons, but uh, that's proven to be... Uh, Giannis weird. wants no part of Kawhi. No. And at all. That's very it's obvious. really, really obvious, and... Um, i mean it just sort of comes down to how well do the supporting pieces around Kawhi? because it's not like Kawhi has just been taking over offensively in these last two games he's been fine and he's made some big plays but it's more about uh the supporting cast stepping up and the Bucks supporting cast not stepping up in the two games in toronto norman powell specifically and uh when the bucks were playing at home they had their own guys stepping up in in big ways so i think it's kind of like the home team you can kind of count on the bench a little bit more uh, than you can the road team and that's been kind of swinging these games but um you know when when both these teams are playing at their very best i think they both look like teams that can push the warriors it's just that they're much less consistent than the warriors
2: I, i think focusing on game four specifically like the the most discouraging point for milwaukee is that Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam combined for 26 points on, you know, okay efficiency, and neither player at any point, you know, felt like they were in control of the game. Siakam was in early foul trouble. Kawhi was was loosening up his leg for most of the first half and, you know, had some big moments, but really didn't play all that well and, and you know, was kind of their third or fourth option. It seemed like just kind of floating around on offense with, with that leg bothering him. For Milwaukee, not to be able to take advantage of that and really ever ever close the gap there was one point I think early in the fourth quarter where Ursan Ilyasova missed a wide open three on the wing pump fake got the guy in the air and had a wide open look missed it Powell hit a three on the other end Bucks went down got a terrible turnover basically I don't even know if it was a shot or a turnover it was hard to tell from Brogdon and then another big basket from Kawhi and all of a sudden it went from potentially a four-point game to a 12-point game and, and at that point it was basically over it, it just seems like outside of Game 2, um, you know Milwaukee didn't play all that well in Game 1. Looking back, fairly mm-hmm. lucky to get a win in that one, although Toronto, you could probably say the same for Game 3. Toronto seems to be able to put together these 8-0, 10-0, even 6-0 runs, and the Bucks just don't – they're not able to get stops. And to me, the, the offense has been obviously concerning, specifically for, for Eric Bledsoe and, and Nikola Miritich was god-awful last night. Uh, but defensively, they have not been – the same team that they were for a lot of the regular season 32 points in the first quarter for toronto 33 in the second quarter um and i believe they only finished with 29 in the third but at one point there was there was like four minutes left in the third quarter and they were in already in the mid-20s they, they just had a poor close so you know i don't i don't know if these are scheme issues it, it does seem like they're they're being a little reckless and a little cavalier with the double teams leaving guys wide open um which is something that you know they kind of lived and died by during the regular season but it it does seem to be a little bit more pronounced in this round
1: yeah i think that they it's just i mean the the stuff that was working for them at home just wasn't working in toronto and Mm -hmm. um you know there was some just bad they're, they're picking sort of like at a certain point you can't keep leaving norman powell open when he's knocking down all these threes and like it's fine to leave pascal siakam open it's fine to leave uh marcus open to an extent because he doesn't take all of his open shots right. like he uh, he swung one to i think mean, he, he had like an open three on the wing last night that he swung to siakam in the corner i'd much rather yeah. well he siakam, was shooting it
2: well when he was shooting it yeah gasol. i'd much
1: rather siakam take it than yeah. gasol take it uh but yeah i mean you, you kind of have to know who you're leaving and and kind of make right. better decisions about that but I mean I fully expect Milwaukee to win game five and I I mean I just I think it I think home court has just been the kind of the mm-hmm. story in the series because we're seeing kind of a different team uh, on both ends of that spectrum depending on where the game is
2: would you start Malcolm Brogdon over Eric Bledsoe to be fair, Malcolm Brogdon was not good in Game Four. Struggled shooting the ball, but it, I think in general, you know, I, most people trust him.
1: I wouldn't. I, I really think it's. I mean, you're not. You're probably not winning the, the NBA Finals, regardless of what you do, if you're the Bucks mm-hmm. or the Raptors. Like, I mean, the odds are you're gonna either lose in the Eastern Conference Finals or lose in the Finals. Kind of, no matter what you do, and I just think that their ceiling is much higher with. Bled's, like hoping that Bledsoe can kind of figure it out then cuz i mean you might you kind of risk it's not like he's a a zero when he's playing poorly he's still one of your three best defenders and i think you sort of risk getting nothing out of Bledsoe if you move him into that bench role mm-hmm. then uh you know i mean he hasn't played well i know that um i just think that they that bench unit being as strong as it is is a strength, yeah. and I think that they play really well together. I mm-hmm. think that it's um, just sort of one of those situations where you you hope he plays better going forward. If he doesn't, it's not like it's costing you the finals. Right. You're, you're sort of
2: well. I think I think Bucks fans would disagree with you on that, but no, I agree. I think I mean it's, it might cost you the series.
1: Sure. I mean that they, they uh, the Raptors were their biggest threat all season in in the east and uh I don't I I don't like it when a guy like Eric Bledsoe gets made to be the scapegoat when it's a guy like Eric Bledsoe it's right. like it's not like this is James Harden who mm-hmm. was an elite player all season and like coming to the playoffs and all of a sudden he's playing much worse than he is I mean right. Bledsoe's been a very up and down player his whole career I think you have to look at Giannis you have to look at uh Guys who are missing shots that they weren't missing in the regular season, like Miritich and and Lopez, have not shot the ball particularly well. Uh, right. Relative, even to,
2: Middleton before last night, which Middleton yeah. you know was great, best game of the playoffs, but he was re- he was awful. It was worst think, game of the year in, in game three.
1: I think it's on Giannis to me, really, more yep. than it is on Bledsoe to be that. MVP-level player on a more consistent yep. basis. I, I think you're going to get bad games from Bledsoe, you're going to get good games from Bledsoe, but you need your MVP to be mm-hmm. better than their best player in games, and that hasn't been the case in the the two Toronto well, games.
2: Especially when their MVP, at least for the most of the game, appears to be significantly right. less than 100%. Yeah,
1: when Giannis, when Giannis gets Kawhi on him, he needs to uh, be more aggressive and... Not be afraid of that right. matchup. And when he gets onto Kawhi, he needs to be. Uh, and he was, I think he was pretty good when he got switched onto Kawhi, but maybe he yeah. needs to take it upon himself to be uh, on Kawhi more. I, right. I, mean, I agree. I, I think like there's. I think they're worried about foul trouble, but
2: two of his three fouls last night were offensive charges like to mm-hmm. me that's almost the bigger danger the reason he's always in foul trouble is because he picks up two offensive fouls a game
1: yeah I don't think Kawhi likes going against Giannis no. at all like so I don't it's not a situation where Kawhi's is going to see Giannis on him he's gonna be like oh get, in, get in theory foul that trouble. should be the bigger mismatch right like Giannis on Giannis yeah. should give Kawhi more trouble than Kawhi gives Giannis I, I agree I think it's an issue of Giannis just not trusting his handle mm-hmm. enough to like that's that's what's so scary about going against Kawhi is Dude, his he'll, handle. He'll by just the way, pick your pocket like at well, yeah, any like in ways that guys just don't pick people's pockets. Kawhi will will take the ball from you.
2: Yeah, what I mean, Kawhi say? had a couple plays on the offensive end last night. There was one I think where it was a play where Lowry kind of like got he like yeah. flipped over George Hill's back, and somehow Kawhi managed to dodge Lowry in midair spin. And like I'm watching the play, it almost looked like he like, dribbled the ball right
1: through George Hill's hand. Like I don't know how he didn't get a steal because the he, ball's like. His hands are so big that right. the ball is just kind of an extension of his hands. Yeah, sort of. when it, he pounds it so hard, there dude, was it another, comes back up so quickly. There was another time where he was sort of in the lane and in traffic, and like mm-hmm. there were three bucks guys that they kind of knocked it away, and it right. seemed like it should have been a steal, but like Kawhi just like got it right back. Yeah,
2: and, it's always just in this orbit around yeah. his body. Like he's not. You know, you're never gonna compare him to like a Kyrie type of guy. Like his handle isn't pretty, but he he just never he's so strong. That's what Right. Um, he never loses
1: LeBron's kinda like. Was that it too. Jimmy Butler that said like Kawhi's the strongest player in the league, like after that Sixers series? Like that's what he's me it's not like he benches the most. Right, it's right. like it's like uh, in roto hoops, there's a exactly. big center that uh, Chris Benzie and I mean, mm-hmm. he's the strongest player at roto hoops. NBA editor, like you're Chris not Benzine. you're not taking the ball away from Benzie and you're not nope. taking the ball away from Kawhi, and he's taking the ball away from you exactly. uh, in ways that you're not used to. Yeah,
2: that's a great way to put it. My my closing point on this, and I I do somewhat agree that you can't just take blood so out and be like, all right, he, he's the problem. We're sitting him. That'll solve everything because it won't. Uh, but I I do think part of the issue with Giannis, and part of the reason that Toronto has kind of been able to to recreate that game one Boston defense is because they they don't respect Giannis' jump shot whatsoever, rightfully so. I mean, he's hit, he's hit, yeah, it seems one or two threes a game, which is nice, but the mid-range game is completely gone. He was great in the mid-range in the regular season. He has no confidence shooting those kind of step backs. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's getting to his spots. He's hesitating, passing out. Uh, but having him out there and having Bledsoe out there who, you know, last night they just threw Pascal Siakam on Bledsoe. You know, in air quotes, as basically a free safety, or like let this guy shoot. You can roam around, mm-hmm. and basically what that means is you're going to go swarm Giannis whenever he gets in the lane. You're going to go swarm Middleton, uh, and they did a great job of that. When you have two non-shooters in Giannis and Bledsoe out there, I think it just creates spacing issues that have that have allowed Toronto to do all that double and triple and quadruple teaming on Giannis. And it, you know, the first five minutes of last night, Giannis had seven points, looked great. You know, it finally looked like, um, you know, that aggression that that really has been kind of on and off for him and the playoffs was back. Um, But, you know, midway through the first quarter, Toronto adjusted. And for the rest of the game, it was, it just felt like a lot of dribble handoff, you know, not a lot of pick and roll. Chris Weber was harping on that uh, on the broadcast. And I have to say, I agree with him. It was like watching, you know, 2008 Memphis, just dribble drive, penetrate, pick up the dribble, kick it to the next guy, dribble drive, penetrate. All of a sudden there's three seconds on the shot clock. Uh And Nikola Miritich is taking a 27 foot contested step back.
1: And I... I think it's important to remember that the that Giannis is not at his peak. Like, oh. so it's it's just. I mean, a lot of times you have these. Like, I'm thinking about like the like '95 Orlando Magic team, the uh, the Thunder team Even that that lost to the Heat. Mid like, 2000s, LeBron. Yeah, I mean, you you have these just elite talent, uh, superstars that like. they're so talented that that alone is good enough for them to get to the finals or the conference finals, but they aren't finished products to the point that they're ready to kind of carry a team all the way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, we might sort of be seeing that with Giannis in this season where he's arguably the best player Mm -hmm. in the league in the regular season. Uh, I mean, maybe not arguably. Maybe he just is the best regular season player at this point, but he's not a complete product to the point where his game is the same game in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I also think it's unfair to expect him to be that right now. Like there is there really a precedent for any team getting washed out in the first round one year, bringing back mostly the same team, you know, a few a few kind of role player additions, you know, nobody who's a top three or four guy on your team, uh, and then just going all the way to the finals and maybe winning it, you know, like there's this kind of this informal step system that you have to take unless you add a superstar in an offseason and that can accelerate it you know, it's just very, very rare for a team to not win a playoff series and go all the way the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk Combine. Uh, where do you want to start here? I, I have a bunch of random notes that I took down. Um, every year that that we've done this, this was your first year opting out in, you went to the what, last three? Yeah. At least the last two.
1: Yeah, the last three.
2: Uh, I can say with confidence that this was <laughs> the worst group of scrimmages that I've ever seen. And to be fair, there's really not any reason for a first-round pick to it's participate. Gonna, it's going to
1: i mean it's it's going to be very uh exponential in terms of it getting worse every single year and -hmm. there were even last year like you know two years ago kyle kuzma was kind of the guy who really upped his stock last year uh, kevin herder and and like those guys are are legit nba starting caliber players so it's not like great nba players it's not like it's not like they're only terrible NBA players right. play in the in the scrimmage but it's just well, that's what it was this year fewer <laughs> fewer guys that you would want to see play well, in it every year
2: well that's that's a great point like Kevin Herter this year's equivalent of Kevin Herter whoever that is maybe let's say Tyler Harrow who's projected in that same range wouldn't even consider playing five on five but Whereas, was, like, it wasn't crazy for Herter to play but I don't think year. Herter was considered in that range until after the. he wasn't line. but he was still like borderline first round and like so for example like Ty Jerome who's by no means a first rounder didn't play sure um you know what's this Carson Edwards who played last year who is also by no means a first rounder mm-hmm. didn't play you know guys like that if if there's even an inkling of a chance that you well, might I think, go in the I first think, round Admiral I Schofield think, didn't play yeah
1: yeah um the
2: best player there in terms of pre-combine projection was Grant Williams
1: yeah I mean I still think I still think there's guys like well we'll we'll get to it but I mean I
2: no let's go right right dive right sure
1: in. I mean I think Two of my guys, we're going to get to that later, but sure. two of my guys scrimmaged, uh, Terrence Mann, Zach Norvell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Luka Simonich. He looked good. It, it's not like he couldn't be as good as Kevin Herter. Like, I mean, I think he could be that good. It, yeah. it's. I mean, not that type of player, obviously. Sure. But yeah, that type of impact. I mean, I think in terms of guys who really help themselves, he's probably number one or number two. And then Darius Baisley, I'm almost surprised that he – did it just because he's sat out every other aspect of right. performance evaluation to this point but so yeah we should mention i mean <laughs> basically the reason that
2: we're going through this um because a lot of the guys we're going to talk about are not going to be nba stars or even rotation players but it's just just guys to know as the draft approaches basley if you're not is it basley or basley, I, always thought it was I, don't basley. I don't know basley and or basley committed to syracuse he was like a top 20 recruit uh, would have been a freshman this past year backed out said he was going to go sign in the g league and kind of try to be this i think he did a big players tribune article about wanting to be this pioneer uh pretty much immediately backed out after everyone told him that was a terrible idea and he would get just manhandled in the g league because he's i mean we'll we'll talk about him in a second i mean he's he looked good and is a a, i think going to be a a pretty decent nba player someday but super skinny i mean looks like a high school kid i mean he was like i think he had the lowest body fat of anyone there uh but basically just because he's super skinny um ended up Signing a million dollar endorsement deal to be an intern at a paid intern at New Balance, Um, I, exactly. I believe he's rep by like Clutch Sports, so they had kind of hooked that up. So weird path for him, but he he looked good. I mean, he's he's a lefty. He's got a lot of length, kind of a Tayshon Prince looking mechanical set shot, uh, but super athletic. Had had a couple nice finishes in in the scrimmage on Thursday. Um, he's on my list of, is, of my guys. Is
1: he a three or a four for you?
2: I think he's ideally a three right now cause he's, he's just too skinny to be a four. But if he adds, if he doesn't look like Austin day in two years, <laughs> you know, he has, he has the length and size to uh-huh. be a four.
1: Yeah. I think that like sort of ideally did he, did he show any kind of rim protection qual- qualities at all? Yeah,
2: Not really. He, I mean, you know what this means? He was wearing a t-shirt under his mm. Jersey, which is just trying to hide I mean, how little he was just are. trying. Like, he, was really... he was just trying to impress you. Well, I do love that. He, uh, <laughs> But it was kind of like a tight T-shirt. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah, like the Delonte yeah, West shirt. Yeah. He, I mean, he was around the rim, but he was not like shot ch- block shot ch- blocking, blocking mm-hmm. shots. Wow, mm-hmm. he was not blocking shots. He was not really. He was playing more of a wing position than a big man. Okay. Um, other guys, like I said, Grant Williams, just not not rest. I impressed. <clears> a
1: I, w- I wouldn't take Grant Williams in the second round.
2: I, I a lot of mocks that I saw before the combine had him in like the twenty twenty five range. I would be very surprised if he. I mean, he's not going to be a first rounder. What I think do you he'll, what he'll do, he'll do you think hit. about
1: this uh, comp on him, Bonzi Colson?
2: Less athletic, Bonzi less Coulson. A, less L-
1: athletic, less athletic. Worse shooting, Bonzi Colson. Yeah,
2: I mean, you remember <laughs> if you're watching Grant Williams, I remember calling him Sean May. You know, sure. during the college season, like when you watch Tennessee on TV, he basically plays a four slash five for them. And I'm thinking right. he's like he's like a six five center, right? But I'm, I'm thinking you watch him on TV, and I'm like, what is he 6'9"? 6'5", not even 6'6", <laughs> six, six without shoes. He's, You know, he did get a 2-inch boost with the shoes. So he's 6'7 and a half, with a slightly longer wingspan. Like, he looked like a guard out there. Like, a lot of these guys who played the 2 or the 3 in college are, like, 2 inches taller than Grant Williams, who... You know he has he has three point range. Uh, doesn't really look great. No, kind of he's almost kind of like a big
1: baby. No, he, a little he more he in shape, have three big point baby. Range. He doesn't have three point range.
2: Yeah, I was not impressed <clears> at <throat> all. He uh, does. He did not look good.
1: So I when I was scanning the prospect or the uh, combine measurements, uh, some some stuff stood out to me. The thing that might have stood out to me the most is that uh, Williams's teammate Admiral Schofield. Oh yeah, six four without shoes. They list him at 6'6. Six, 6'4. Six. Six, uh, I mean, that, I thought he was going to be like an easy 6'7. Like, I don't know why I thought that, but.
2: I, I will say that it very rarely <laughs> works the other way where you're like, man, I thought he was 6'3 yeah. and he's yeah. actually 6'8. Yeah. He's <laughs> no, way it's taller. Almost I always thought. going yeah. down. Although Tyler Harrow measured in at 6'6 six, six in shoes. Yeah, that's good. That's, he's like the one guy that kind of blew my mind the other way. Uh but yeah, Schofield's barely over six five in shoes, which is not great. But he and, did have a six ten wingspan and he's, he's super just
1: chiseled. He's gotta he's almost gotta be a four, right? Like I, I think I just don't well, know if he, height, I mean, he's I don't know if he can shoot enough to be he, a three. He, he did shoot it well at
2: Tennessee, but it's you know, you don't look at him as necessarily a knockdown guy. Um, I think he has to play the three right now. I, but I he's also the type of guy that you look at more for his defensive like who can he <laughs> match
1: up with, not where can he run on, on offense. I mean, is so optimistic comp maybe like Jeremy Grant, like that type of thing, or is that even too? I,
2: well, Jeremy Grant's like six nine, right? Yeah, I think that might be too high. I, I mean, I guess I, watching him at Tennessee, I kind of thought he was like a true shooting guard, but I don't. He's not going to be quick enough for that. He's he's just big. I mean, he's mm. he has I, he has like the same measurements as OJ Howard, the NFL tight end, right? Um, maybe I don't know. May, I mean, might have picked the wrong sport right i i kind of see him i mean his brother played played football for the badgers plays in the nfl i i guess i kind of see him as just like a smaller pj tucker like that's if if he's going to stick around it's got to be in that kind of role right
1: no i mean it's it's possible like there's there's a sort of a an art to prospect evaluation now where you have to find guys like PJ Tucker you have to find guys who are going to yeah. sort of be underrated for various reasons but who for whatever reason you think are going to translate to today's game maybe he's one of those guys i just um for his, given his size and the fact that i think laterally he probably will struggle to guard smaller players i think that that measurement was mm-hmm. not good for him
2: yeah i think the appeal with him is you know if if he gets matched up in the post you know he can kind of you know in theory at least with that much weight and that much muscle he should be able to hold his own um but we'll see i mean what the most interesting thing with him is he he was supposed to scrimmage and then pulled out um the night before which typically indicates that you either feel really good about where your status is at as a prospect or someone gave you a promise but you know guys like him it's like he's not i would be pretty surprised if a team like in the 20s gave him a promise but you know maybe high second round is fine with him well
1: i mean chandler Hutchison got a promise yeah i mean it's not like but i feel like he was also like a slightly better prospect i guess maybe i mean i think i mean he tore it up last year <laughs> i think uh it's not it doesn't necessarily have to be a promise it it sort of has to be his agent yeah talking to enough teams that are kind of in that 18 to 25 range that are legitimately right. interested to well, just don't go play yourself out of this right, range
2: yeah. more or less um the guy I got asked most about um, just being being around Chicago and Milwaukee by friends for the for the week was Taco Fall. Obviously, was not impressed by Taco Fall. I, I know I know some in the the NBA podcast community are are really in love with him. Maybe as a as a first rounder, one he didn't even get invited to the combine. He went to the G League mini camp, and then they took I think like eight or ten of the most impressive players from that and brought them up to the real combine so he the fact that he wasn't even on the initial list which is we should say compiled by nba front offices like they vote basically on the guys they want to see and they take the composite like top 60
1: so it's not just the nba is hand-picking these guys but did you i did you hear uh jonathan gavoni's thing about how teams have told him that they sandbag on those lists and like they don't want the guys that they like the most they don't want to be uh, scrimmage yeah, at the combine because they don't want you other teams to <laughs> like so like it it's not necessarily even the guys that teams want to see it's like true. sometimes it's, it's the guys that teams know they don't like and therefore they mm-hmm. want to kind of flood the combine with those guys so <laughs> that I mean, would explain a lot actually. yeah that would yeah. explain
2: why mellow triple is always
1: there
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no that's uh that actually does make a lot of sense now that you say that because um, it's
1: not like i mean for you know for you know there have been guys like like Kuzma and Herder who have like helped themselves but i mean it's it's not like a guy scrimmaging at the combine is going to outweigh 30 live games no, no, that no. your scouts have watched of a guy you, play. Have, you would have to play extremely well and i will say like, Kuzma is the one guy that all the years that i've been there like he would he
2: turned heads like legitimately like oh my god this cuz yeah. he he had like 25 points in a scrimmage and game just, and like, just
1: burying three after right. three well in yeah. the
2: way that they do this i mean it's kind of like a 5 in 5 out everybody plays about 20 minutes like it's hard to go off in a game like this like mm-hmm. a really good game would be like 12 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks, you know, and Kuzma was just shooting the lights out to Mm -hmm. the point that he basically immediately pulled out of day two right after the first day ended. Um, Taco Fall, I mean, if you're going to take him, I think it's almost as like a novelty. You know, you kind of want this Boban-like guy on your team that I don't – I mean, it's hard to say that would really drive fan engagement, but I – I just don't ever. I can't imagine a world in which Taco Fall is playing like eighteen minutes a night in the NBA. He's he does move well, I guess, by seven foot seven guy standards, but like the hands are terrible. His passes were really rough. He was involved in two jump balls in like a ten minute span just because he kept bringing the ball down in the paint. Like, um, I mean, when he gets it down there, he either dunks it or gets it stripped. <laughs> you know, he's not going to get blocked um and he i don't know he just he just wasn't a factor i'd love to see him in the nba i think it'd be fun but it's 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 just not
1: it's just not very actionable in any way like best case scenario is boban and it's not like boban yeah well look at boban's been traded like five times in the last two years for a reason yeah it's just not uh
2: all right we'll just run through some other quick notes fattest guy at the combine nas reed (laughs) not not surprising um still projected kind of high second round because he i mean (laughs) The production's there. He can kind of handle it. He's big. But, yeah, I was not surprised that he had the highest body fat by, like, five percentage points over the next fattest guy. Uh, Bull Bull. We, he, wear, he wears a T-shirt for yeah, other reasons. Right, he, exactly. Other end of the T-shirt. The Caleb spectrum. Swanigan T-shirt. <laughs> yes, he looks like Caleb Swanigan, too. Um, Bull Bull, uh, still recovering from that. That uh, foot injury didn't do anything. And, and even if he was fully healthy, he wouldn't have really participated. Uh, but he was 7'2 half in shoes which is pretty good uh 7-7 seven, seven wingspan obviously a, a massive standing
1: reach it, it does feel like do we can we so um do you want to sort of save sort of like lottery where guys where you would take guys discussion for later because like i think bull bulls yeah there's just so many likely busts with upside who are going to go in that like 7 to 20 range and he's like one of them, he's but like seven i seven w- two Cam Reddish. He's like my least favorite of the likely busts. Well, with yeah, upside. we'll get to the lottery in a second. <laughs> okay. We'll um okay. I'll just run
2: through a couple sure. more like you yeah. know, first yeah. late first, possibly second round guys. Uh but the other thing with Bowl, and like you said, we'll talk more about him later, dropped twenty plus pounds uh between when he was last weighed, like to start the year at Oregon, and now. So part of that is you know, you just can't be active when you have a broken foot. But basically all the weight, the good weight that he put on to, to become a college basketball player at Oregon has like melted away. And he kind of needs to start over in that regard. Um, KZ Akpala, 6'9 and a half in shoes from Stanford, almost a 7'2 wingspan. One of the big winners, I think, just in terms of measurements is agility, strength stuff was, you know, average, slightly above average. But I think as somebody who most teams view as just kind of like a super poor man's Andre Iguodala defensive stopper guy, like the most important thing for him was, was getting those measurements and six, nine and a half is pretty good.
1: Yeah. And I think he's a, he's part of the reason why like my, my preference of the guys that are going to go like middle lottery might be different from others because Mm -hmm. I just don't see a huge gap between Akpala and guys like uh, DeAndre Hunter and Jared Culver. Like I think, sure. I would rather have Hunter and Culver, but I don't think it's, much, much, much right. more likely that they won't bust than than our paul
2: has yeah. got a little on anobi feel to sure. him. Uh Tyler Harrow, like I mentioned, six six in shoes, really good for him. Uh did have a negative <laughs> wingspan, which every white player is always like whatever your height is, just minus three inches, and that's sure. your wingspan. Jordan Bone from Tennessee. I I believe he's still I know he's leaning towards staying in the draft, but as of uh last time I checked, he was still maybe gonna go back to Tennessee. Wasn't great in five on five. Wasn't bad, but he was top four in every agility and um, athleticism test. How so does he? Super super fast.
1: What are so? What are your uh, expectations for his three point percentage, and what are your expectations for his defensive impact? I mean, defensively,
2: I, I think. He, I mean, he's super super quick. Like I said, he's. Does
1: he use that on that end?
2: Yeah, I mean, he hounds guys. Okay, but he's also light, you know, mm. like he's not gonna you know, he's not Patrick Beverly because he's you know minus thirty pounds probably on on mm-hmm. Beverly. He's just he's super slight, you know, and I think that's probably his biggest weakness right now. Uh shot thirty eight percent from three as a sophomore down to thirty six percent last year. I I mean I think I see him in the forty to sixty range, okay. probably no
1: higher than that. Well yeah I mean I, I think given his athleticism if he were, if he projected to be a really good defender or a average shooter by point guard standards, mm-hmm. I could see a case for him going in the first, late first. But it, yeah. if he doesn't project to be an impact defender or like at least a thirty six percent three yeah. point shooter, then he, yeah, second round.
2: Yeah, I mean the thing with him too is he's.
1: I mean, what is his height? Um, six, almost he, six three. He in ben- juice, he not- benefited from playing with a bunch of. Like all of his teammates were undersized and right. he's like slightly oversized, so it made him look like he was like six Yeah.
0: Well he
2: like <laughs> height wise he's fine, but he still looks small. He's just so mm-hmm. he's just so thin. Uh Grant Williams we already talked about. I mean, I I wrote down in my notes, looks way undersized in person. Like that was the first thing. I I was like shocked that it was him out there. Mm-hmm. Um but also would have been probably what, a top five pick in nineteen ninety four. I mean top
1: he's He's going really high, yeah. in, in the early '90s, even it's... in even into like the mid '90s, the maybe the late even 90s. into the early 2000s, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's going, he's going high in the draft, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, uh, Carson <laughs> Edwards barely cleared six feet in shoes, uh, but I think that w- that's kind of big for him. However, six six wingspan and 34 inch vertical, so well, pretty impressive.
1: I stood next to carson edwards at last year's combine and the fact that he cleared six feet in shoes is i think a, a positive sign i think i think there's like
2: this kind of inherent difference it's like nfl quarterbacks where like you want to there's a difference between a five eleven point guard and the six foot point guard right. for whatever reason uh last guy brandon clark gonzaga people are all over the map on him i've, I've been looking at you know post combine mock drafts and he's as high as 11 or 12 he's as low as the mid 30s i would guess probably closer to that first number um but he was six just over six eight uh with the same wingspan so you know a guy like that i think you'd prefer that wingspan be closer to seven feet maybe he turns,
1: he, maybe jeremy grant's a better comp on brandon clark
2: um but that, yeah i mean crazy athlete yeah uh really weird low release point he's not he was not a really a three-point shooter at gonzaga but they're i think draft express or somebody posted a video of him shooting around the other day and like i mean he shoots it He's at basically at the neckline. He's just one of those
1: guys who I just don't think is ever going to be able to hit threes. No. So he's also take, turn, He also turns 23 in September. Right. Take so. him where you want based on the rebounding and defense, mm-hmm. but
2: just not going to be able to hit threes. Okay, let's get to lottery guys. We never really actually discussed the lottery itself, but I'm, I'm pretty glad with how everything shook out um not 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 necessarily even which team ended up where but just the fact that there was movement i think is great because mm-hmm.
1: i like that it's a. I I love that it's a kind of a crapshoot sort of yeah like i love that you can't just be finish the season and be like oh all right good we're gonna be picking here or we're exactly gonna be picking here I, and i like that teams can really move up like i i'm definitely not of the mind of hey, these teams are bad. They need help. Like, I'm very much of the... Some of these teams well, don't deserve help. <laughs> I, well, I think it's also important to note that, like, the way that these...
2: I don't know if people who, you know, don't study the NBA, I guess, extensively know that, like, it would be impossible, you know, for for a team like the Knicks. They can't pick lower than fifth, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's not, this, there's not this situation where you could finish 10 and 72 and then pick 14, you know? Like, you can mm-hmm. only fall so far. So, like, it does it does kind of in some ways ensure that if you really need help, you know, if you're one of those teams like New York or Cleveland or Phoenix, you can only fall so far. Um, And, and, but at the same time, you know, you're not just automatically handing that team a pick like it works in in the NFL. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's obviously for me personally, it was great to see the Lakers jump into the top four just to add some firepower to to a trade to get my man some help. Uh, But yeah, I like every year it seems like one team will move up or you know you're all of a sudden there's three picks left and everything has gone in order so far and maybe one and two flop the fact that you could be at eight or nine or ten and still feel okay about your chances to move up I think is is good for the lottery as an event and and good Mm -hmm. for the league I think this is kind of it won't be like this every year but this is what I think the league needed to whether it's true or not at least make it look like you know they're doing something to curb tanking
1: yeah and it's it's not gonna stop tanking I just I like the uncertainty that heads into it. It For sure. Um, So, I I don't know if I believe this.
2: um, You know, this narrative that's going around that Zion is you know the biggest no brainer prospect since LeBron. Um, I mean, obviously, you and I are both high on Zion. I, I think we're forgetting how much of a lock Anthony Davis was. I don't. I don't know what Davis's flaw was coming out of kentucky and, and certainly it's hard are to you
1: are you saying no-brainer like number the one. gap between him and the next the number two guy or no-brainer in that he's like a generational talent more so the lat. i guess
2: i'm not really want i don't really want to take into account the fact that the second best player in the davis draft was kid gilchrist you know i just mean like in terms of you're taking this guy number one no matter who's number two you know and it doesn't really matter if there's like kind of a secondary option yeah no end.
1: i th- I think it's just like ad and probably not not to the level of lebron so like i i agree with you i think it's it's uh to I, forget out to skip past ad and go straight to <laughs> lebron is a mistake i mean ad was going like i would have coming into that draft i would have probably bet yes on ad being a hall of famer and yeah. like i would i would um so therefore like you can't skip past him right. and go to LeBron.
2: Well let's say I mean it's hard to say now knowing what we know about Davis, but let's put Kentucky Anthony Davis in this draft. I would take Davis over Zion. And I, I don't I don't think it would be you know, it'd be close, obviously, but I, I think I would be pretty confident in taking Davis. He's I think he's the safer of those two.
1: I think I would take Kentucky Davis. I'm I'm sort of I don't know. I might be mildly like if you told me going into that Davis draft that this would have been Davis's career, I think I would actually be slightly underwhelmed. But based on the lack of winning, like I thought his defensive, I thought he was going to be more of a just like a Rudy Gobert level. Like he's on your team, your defense is top five. Tim Duncan type of impact. Like just he makes your defense a top five defense just by the fact that yeah. he's on it and it hasn't necessarily been the case i think that's fair to say so, i think like, his offense is maybe better sure. than,
2: it, than you would expect because he, he really wasn't like his numbers at kentucky were not crazy it was more about the projection right and you know he's become a better shooter and better off the dribble but yeah i, w- I would say i wouldn't
1: have thought that at this stage in davis's career it would have been possible for his team to miss the playoffs which yeah. we maybe they wouldn't have missed the playoffs if he if the trade stuff hadn't come out
2: but no that um, see that's also a myth because I, I looked that up when i was writing an article a couple of weeks ago like they were eight games under 500 and like way out of the play like they were basically like tied with the lakers at that point you know i think that you know it wasn't like he torpedoed their season and they were going to be
1: a top yeah four so like it was not looking good and that's part of the reason that right he asked so that it. that sort of lines up with what I, I just wouldn't have thought it would have been possible that at this stage of his career he could have been on a team that would have been eight games under 500 i think that's
2: fair um do you just mean like you know you're you're duncan's you're lebron's they're just on your team even if your second best player is Danielle marshall you're getting you're winning 50 games yeah Yeah. Yeah. no i think that's fair to say um there really hasn't been any discussion though you know even on your your first take type of shows of (laughs) morant or rj jumping zion like every year there's we we've said this on this pod a
1: ton of times the take, the take, instead of instead of these guys should jump Zion. The the take is like, well, you should just refuse to refuse to go there. <laughs> that's been like that. I, that was a take. And it's just like, oh yeah, that was a big take. How do people, you people not understand like... how this works? There's there's no team that would pass on him even if he said flat yeah. out, "I'm not going there." You still take him. And right. You still make him make him decla- go back to Duke. make him go back to Duke. And and that's the that play. Was
2: hilarious. I mean. Part of me, just for the chaos factor, kind of wanted him to go back to Duke. Um, I mean, it would be horrible for the Pelicans and just kind of Mm -hmm. a bad look for the league. And I don't think it would reflect well on him. But but
1: I like Zion so much. Like I I love the way he approaches the whole. Like people were telling him, "Oh, don't don't return from that injury, and like don't go to New Orleans." Like I love the way he handles these things. Like he just clearly likes playing basketball so much that he and he has enough confidence in himself that he's not gonna think and, of it that way
2: and people are talking like new orleans is this wasteland no you know that ha- i mean the, everything for the most part things are trending up there, i mean things, you have the davis I don't know issue, if but. any
1: organization is trending up at a more rapid pace don't right. even factor in the zion thing but like the the fact that uh Gail Benson seems to be, like, a 10 times better owner than her husband. <laughs> and uh, the fact that they got David Griffin. Right, that, like that, that, to me, the Griffin
2: just, acquisition.
1: I mean, that franchise all of a sudden is maybe now one of, the, like, the 10 or 12 best-run well, franchises in about, the league. Think about the typical team that wins the lottery. Like, what if Cleveland had won the lottery?
2: That's a lottery team. Yeah, they have nobody. Right, There are no assets on that team besides I mean, Con Sexton. Could,
1: could you argue that the Dell Demps to David Griffin upgrade is just – about as good as the jason Kidd to my boon holes on the on the front office for thing. sure yes absolutely
2: and so i mean if you're in new orleans right now your your quote-unquote worst case scenario is you have to trade anthony davis for what's going to be an awesome trade package and all of a sudden you're rebuilding around the biggest prospect since the guy you just traded mm-hmm. plus you know like if, if you have to go forward with a core of Drew Holiday, Zion Williamson, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart and a couple future picks plus your own picks. Like how many teams in the league would rather be in that spot? Like I would say what, 50% or more of the league would be really happy with that scenario? I would probably 70% probably say, of the league like yeah. other than the top teams that are trying to contend right now, like what what young core would you take over that group?
1: I think it's like a top 8 situation and yeah. uh I also don't buy the whole Oh well, they blew it with Davis. They don't get. They don't deserve to have a second crack. It's it's everyone is different. The front office, the owner, like everything is different than the group that blew yeah. the whole Davis thing. So and I don't, I don't even don't think that. they they blew it to the degree that we've seen other teams blow it
2: with horrific signings. You know, like I, I mean, a lot of it was just untimely it, injuries.
1: Well, and, so they didn't blow it uh, well, necessarily to the extent over the past like two years that other teams. But like you know, the yeah. Oshik and I mean, there going, there were some there were some big. Big whiffs along the way. There were, there were. That's true. Um, okay, Sol-
2: so Solomon Hill, uh, R.I.P. Yeah, well, I mean Ashik <laughs> before he succumbed to what was it, Lyme disease? <laughs> uh, okay, so this is a how many player draft?
1: I think it's a four player draft because I think, reddish.
2: I, I think Darius. Bowl.
1: I think Darius Garland's the third best prospect All right, in this draft. You were
2: on this a couple weeks ago. I've watched you know the tape from his five college games. What what has sold you on Darius
1: Garland? I just think he's a absolutely perfect fit for the NBA because not only is he the best shooter by a wide margin of these three guards we're talking about, but he can get his own shot off the dribble and hit his own shot off the dribble, and he's got probably a better handle than Barrett by, yes. by a lot. Barrett's handle's not impressive to me. No. And like I think his handle's closer to Morant's handle than it is to Barrett's handle, and I just think he's... The the um so I think I think it was uh Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer made this comp back during the Blazers Thunder series that Garland is more Lillard yes. and Morant is more Westbrook. And if you kind of extrapolate out those comps, you could argue that Garland mm-hmm. is a better fit in the NBA than Morant is. I would still take jaw just because it's the passing is elite and there's certain situations and it's not it's not like he like i think he's gonna be at, at about as at least as good as like westbrook's best three point shooting season like i think he'll be like a 33 percent 34 percent three point shooter at, at, you know yeah. in his prime which don't love the release he's no. still super skinny and you're right? and you kind of what you want is you want him to be able to hit uh spot up threes where teams just like leave him and he has to hit the open one and i think he can do that. He's not going to be able to hit threes off the dribble, no. but he's so good at getting to the basket and yep. so good at getting his teammates involved that i don't think you need him to hit threes off the dribble. But Garland can hit threes off the dribble. Garland i think has uh really he has nba range yep. already. It's just such a pretty jumper and he and he hit it at such a mm-hmm. high clip that i to me it's a four player draft and I I would not I would actually take Garland over Barrett I know that that's not going to happen but it it's it's not it's something not the crazy I wouldn't thing. I wouldn't be like whoa I would be like yeah that's a smart pick. yeah I mean it'd be something if the Knicks did that I guess no just it, right just like, given if, that if it was a different yeah. team like if right. it was like if Danny songs, Ainge had that yeah. pick or sure. just or say um the Hawks had that pick yeah. like I don't think we'd be saying yeah lock it in it's R J Barrett.
2: So I like the Lillard comp. I, there's still this little concern with me with Garland that it's it's only five games. You know, like if, yeah, that's like the, what if R.J. Right. Barrett's season had ended after five games? Like he he was a world beater through the first five games. Sure. Like that that to me is like there's there's it's,
1: this kind of issue that Garland didn't have enough
2: time to expose himself.
1: So you could argue there's yeah there's two ways of arguing it. It's like well it was only five games and that's why he's here. If he'd played the full season, his stock would have fallen just like everyone else. You could also also argue if he played the full season. He might have made a case to be the number two guy based on him showing it over a a longer stretch. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's – I'm saying it's a four-player draft because to me the gap between Garland and the fifth best guy is big enough in my mind that there's – so much more value in having the fourth pick than the fifth pick because yeah, the, the I, jump from garland to ethan Happ
2: is <laughs> huge.
1: <laughs> yeah like you well you could talk yourself into i'm taking this guy who's going to one day be one of the best uh like create his own shot point guards in the league i can at least dream on that based on what we've seen whereas mm-hmm. you know the limitations with these other guys that are in that mix yep. you know jared culver is never going to make an all-star team you know deandre hunters i wouldn't rule that out you wouldn't really I like Calver. Hunter, no.
2: I uh, Culver, I, I don't know. He's like I love Kiris Levert is the comp that I love for him. And like it wouldn't be insane if, if he snuck like if Chris Middleton can make an all star team, Jared Culver can make an all star team.
1: I just don't think Brad Miller made two all stars. I don't think the, the Jamal McGlure was think an all star. Well, the, <laughs> the we've also one of my favorite par- parts of this time of year is the comps that like um I think it was during the lottery, they or maybe it was during no, it was during the combine they were interviewing Jared Culver on ESPN, and uh, they just kept talking about the DeMar DeRozan comp on him, which is just yes. it, it's well, it's because he's a mid-range guy, you know. Yes. Like, and I I like well, I don't love that I like Culver's mid-range game, but I the reason why I don't think he has a high ceiling at all is I just don't see him ever being a three-point threat. And DeMar DeRozan's one of those guys where you just can't comp guys to him. Because it's such a unique skill set to be just this deadly mid range guy to the point that it's a high quality look for you and this this amazing finisher. Well, he's also a freak athlete, too. Like when he came in, he was like a Vince Carter level athlete. Like I just, just, the amount of. Like, DeMar DeRozan's a, kind of a one of a kind yes. modern day NBA player. I just don't think he should be confident. For sure. I don't think
2: that he's not a guy that players are trying to mold their no. like young players are watching DeRozan tape.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, in fact, I think they're, their coaches are probably <laughs> yeah, telling them yeah, not yeah, to. Yeah. Throw this um, tape away. So, if it's a four player draft, you know what team holds the number four pick. Right. The Lakers, there's no way the Lakers are making that pick and keeping that player on the roster to start next season, right? If it's not Davis, no. it, they're, do, they're getting unless, somebody.
1: Unless they've traded LeBron,
2: right? Well, that would be. I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that at this point. I'd love that. So if they, if it's not Davis, you know, every that that deal and you know potential suitors, everybody knows the story there. We don't have to break that mm-hmm. down. But if it's not Davis, who's the next guy that you try to target? To me,
1: Beal makes the most sense, just because they should have been targeting Beal as soon as they, as soon as the Wizards were throwing in the towel last year they should have made a godfather offer on beal and i think I, I said that on this podcast and they were just like no nope, we're gonna go get anthony davis I, but i i do think you have to see it through on davis because the davis is that good i know it can
2: well, come do you back have and to bite keep you seeing you it through to, can you not yes. see it through anymore i, as, I mean as long as beal is out there right i mean well y- i why why tr- why cash in those assets for a guy who's
1: 80 percent of the guy you want well okay i i think. Beal is the guy that they after Davis is the clear guy and sure. you and I agree on that and so I think uh with new with a new front office in Washington I think now maybe he had to tell ownership before he got the job that he wasn't going to trade Beal mm-hmm. and if that's the case then obviously Beal's not getting traded but if he didn't have to say that then why would Trading Beal not be the first move you make, right. and it, and I to me I would almost uh, like Garland would fit in well just because he's on rookie deal for for as long as he is. But I wouldn't even necessarily value a guy like Brandon Ingram if I'm the Wizards and I'm trying to trade for or I'm trying to trade Bradley Beal because well, you're still Parker, yeah. You're, you're still in John Wall purgatory. So to me, it's more of a give me like three future firsts yes. that have moderate protections plus Darius Garland. Yeah, you want and the then, youngest assets like, possible. Right, yeah. You want the ones that are going to be valuable in the mid-2020s. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wouldn't even make them give up, like, all of their top pieces because, mm-hmm. it, it, like, Lonzo Ball for the next three years does nothing for me if I'm the right. Wizards, and Brandon Ingram even less so because I have to sign him to a big deal. <laughs> like Exactly. Year. Yeah, so. and, right,
2: and that, that's the thing. By the time the Ingram – Contract like his next contract is up, all of a sudden, then you're off the John Wall deal, and you know Ingram maybe moves on too. It's a, I mean, they're in a terrible situation. We've we've harped on that all year. So in terms of trades, I mean, there are other free agents they can attack and will attack. You know, somebody like Kemba Walker. To me, that almost seems like it's going to end up being the case because they're just going to have no other options, and Kemba Walker is going to look at the Hornets cap sheet and just not want to play with Dwayne Bacon anymore. But if you're if you're talking just strictly trade, I, I'll just throw a couple names out there. I, most of them I know don't make like the most sense in the world. Maybe you try to convince Devin Booker, convince the Suns to give up Devin Booker. I don't know that that's a great fit, but I I think
1: well they're just who knows. Uh, Robert Sarver's not trading Devin Booker to the Lakers. That's Russell, Westbrook. LeBron, well, he, LeBron, to Russell Westbrook is LeBron. Is LeBron LeBron traded Westbrook in that All Star game draft? I think I think LeBron's hip to Westbrook. I forget was
2: Westbrook on the court for the last five minutes of the all-star game i don't know if he i don't know know. well that's kind of what matters Uh, (laughs) um i blake griffin um would be a wonderful deal for detroit i'll say that to be able to get the lakers assets in a way that they're not gonna be able to
1: get anywhere else well if i was the pistons i would definitely be uh dangling Andre Drummond in front of Rob Polinka and just sort of see like how dumb how dumb is Polinka, how dumb is sure. uh, Kurt Rambis's wife. Um, and then just sort of see like, you know, whether they're not like Drummond. I think the next most obvious to me, I don't know if you're gonna get to this one is Mike Conley after after BS. Yes. I that would be a horrible idea. But yes, I don't I just don't <laughs> think I don't think the Lakers were a Mike Conley away from making the conference finals. Well would wouldn't you prefer are you saying you'd rather trade for westbrook or griffin than conley maybe griffin not westbrook because that to me conley is a good lebron fit yeah but he you need someone else too right well he clearly it's not going to be the dream sit the dream scenario isn't well we've got lebron and conley and now we're coming for (laughs) like conley is the third i mean in a couple months it might be the dream he's the third guy
2: ideally like well the nice thing about these guys we're talking about is you don't have to give up kuzma and
1: lonzo and like you would at least right. have like half of those guys i mean to which, get i don't even think i mean i'm thinking for conley you obviously you're have, doing you have a to favor you have to ways. match the salary but i mean maybe you maybe you give him kuzma as like the headliner in that deal yeah. or something like that so at
2: least yeah with davis it's like you're clear in the books and it's just mm-hmm. lebron and davis mm-hmm. and a bunch of random other veterans whereas there is i mean i would think you'd still always rather have davis if you compare two top seven players together you do it but there is an argument that maybe having a top seven player in LeBron, a top thirty player in Conley, and then, you know, four or five other good young assets who you can either keep developing or trade for someone else at some point maybe makes more sense than going all in. You know, if you like over like that would be to me, paying the right price for Conley would be a smarter move than way overpaying for Brad Beal. Whereas I don't think there's a price too high for Davis. I think you just get Davis if you can do it.
1: What if you So let's just say you're not getting davis i think I'll that don't that's that, most sure. likely um I don't, well, you probably have enough assets to get Beale and conley would sure. you or at least beal and someone know, else pretty good yeah K going into the season with lebron beal conley and role players
2: I, I guess i'm just a little lower on conley right now at this point in his career but i, I mean it would certainly be a huge upgrade over this past year's team
1: i mean i think even just conley like say say you keep Ball, Ingram, um, Hart, and like Garland, and you just get Conley, I think that team's probably at least like a seven seed in the West. Yeah, and, pro-
2: and I think probably a little higher even. I mean, I. I mean, it just dep- depend- it depends on how many happens, games you get from LeBron. The do you, get, stuff like that, do you get yeah. seventy
1: five games from LeBron, or you get sixty five games right. from LeBron.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, either way, for as much as the Lakers have mucked this up, like getting the number four pick kind of, you know, that was a huge bone for them to be tossed. And now it kind of reinvigorates them. Like, yeah, It really was. Like, <laughs> I think it's fairly likely that they end up with Beal just because they can overpay. If the Wizards don't want to trade him, they can, they can make an offer that almost forces the Wizards to have to make that trade. And there's an argument that Brad Beal is better than Kyrie, or at least last year was better than Kyrie. And mm-hmm. LeBron did pretty well with, when it was basically just him and Kyrie in a diminished Kevin Love. Yeah, I mean Beal is.
1: This is why I thought they should have done everything they could Dude, to get him Beal last year. Last he's year. just. I mean, other than Clay Thompson, I don't know many guys that he, are better fits with with LeBron yeah. than Bradley Beal.
2: Well, and I mean, I was I thought you were just going to say in terms of like the shooting guard hierarchy. I mean, he to me he like passed up
1: Oladipo, who well, obviously that's, was hurt. That's why you don't. And that, I mean, I think Conley is a good fit too because he's not he doesn't have to be a ball dominant point guard yep. but uh beal's just such a good fit because he can he can create his own shot but is very uh adept at just being a spot-up guy too yeah. a, at times
2: basically a a dwayne wade who can shoot i mean sure. not as good as a, sure. of a slasher obviously or a defender but that was kind of the like wade and lebron were not an ideal pairing other than how well they got along i guess as pals uh all right a few more other quick draft things before we get out of here People are still all in on reddish. I mean, you still see about like Who? five, six, seven, and all these mocks. I I don't understand.
1: I don't think anyone's actually all in on him. I think well, that when people a are top five guy, I, I mean. think when people are doing these mocks, they're just kind of like, well, I have to slot reddish in in this but range. Why? why? I don't. Well, I don't think. Look, I mean, I would take. Would you take bowl bowl or reddish if you're picking? Uh, if they're I'd both take, on the board, I'd, at I'd like take number eight. I'd take reddish, but I would take wow. I'd take Romeo Langford over him. I would take. Uh, I think the one that. About Nas? is the bigger statement is I would take Nas Little over Cam Reddish because yeah, I, I think I would I, I'm i not convinced that Nas Little is going to be a non-factor in the NBA I am convinced that Cam Reddish is going to be like not a I mean he's going to be a rotation player I just don't think he's. I think he's going to play on like seven teams. Right. I think he
2: <laughs> he screams this jet like this version this draft version of Josh Jackson, Marquise Chris, like the type of guy who in three years would already be on four teams.
1: Well, like I I was telling you, like I uh, or no, my my most recent comp on reddish is Kelly Ubre, but he's reminiscent of guys like Jeff Green and Josh Jackson and uh, Andrew Wiggins, mm-hmm. except he wasn't productive in college at least right. all those guys were productive in college like <laughs>
2: right like think of how big of a disappointment andrew wiggins has been yeah. and he was pretty good in college yeah like he was he was very capable college player i think he was probably like second team he had in, a great second half like all he, he yeah. shot like 50 yeah. from three yeah. or something over the second half like he was a you know he was a relative <laughs> disappointment because he was so
1: ridiculously hyped and it's bs to to blame reddish's lack of production on well it was just he was surrounded by all these talented guys there wasn't like enough like that should have made him even more productive at the They're, college level. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. there's no him playing with Barrett and Zion is not an excuse for for the season he had.
2: I, I do think there's some. You know, I wrote this on an, on an article that actually just went up today on the site. Is like he was definitely the Kevin Love of that team to Zion's LeBron and Barrett's Kyrie. And, and that, I think you, you can maybe argue that like oh, it's tough for a guy like that to get on a get on a roll, get in a rhythm. But repeatedly, it wasn't like there were just one or two games where this happened. It was you know eight out of ten games he was. Disappearing, he was missing the open looks that he did get. Like, I I just don't know. There was very little on court that you can point to and say, This play right here, this game right here, this four game stretch is why I think he'll be really. Also,
1: think about how productive Justice Winslow was on that Duke team. He was an incredibly good coach, yeah. And to me, like, Reddish should have been the type of guy who gets the ball on the wing on a kickout, and then just roasts the guy that's yep. on him one-on-one just, just gets right to the rack and just throws down and that just never happened
2: yeah well it seemed there was a lot of plays where he would do that but then he would get into the lane without a plan commit a charge throw up a crazy yeah. contested layup but he, d- he just doesn't have the, that elite body control finishing ability that his athleticism would imply that he has stanley johnson might be another comp for him in terms of hype production i mean he went what number eight in 2015 I think yeah, we could see a similar trajectory that. at least. I think
1: I, it's a little uh, – you know, Stanley and Justice, I think, are tougher um, pure comps just because they are both pretty muscular yeah, and pretty, physical guys, pretty yeah. tough guys, whereas he's not that right. at all. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, all these – Cops are a little too favorable for my liking yep. but it, they get the point across all right a couple of minutes left uh who are your your guys
2: in this draft i know you you teased this a little bit before yeah. so like these are we should say mostly you know you're not going to say like my guy zion williamson I, i'm yeah. all over this guy
1: i was gonna i did have darius garland written down i was That's like fine. no he's too good i think
2: uh, they have to be like outside of the top like seven or
1: eight yeah so i, I
2: guys you're just of, gonna keep an eye on and right. like kind of secretly hope the bucks take
1: so Rui hachimura uh obviously flaws are you know he might be a six seven center and Mm -hmm. that's not good uh but i think he's just did not show up at the combine at all didn't get measurements nothing i think you know i don't even mind dematis Sabonis is like sort of a comp on him because i think he is just a really heady player uh who also brings effort on every single play and so i think you get him in the right system uh i think he could be just a guy who is good at passing is good at shooting is good at defense maybe in certain matchups he's just doesn't have the lateral quickness and gets gets roasted a little bit i don't think he can be the anchor of your starting lineup defense he's a little stiff right uh but i guess i with him i'm just sort of betting on the type of basketball skills that maybe don't show up in Mm -hmm. uh traditional stats uh carson edwards um I like Patty Mills as kind of a comp on him where I just not expecting him to really ever be a a starting point guard, but a guy who has sort of unlimited range um, is capable of being sort of the go to scorer in a bench unit. And so I I just kind of, I know, I think I know what he is and it's an NBA player who's going to be in the league Mm -hmm. for a while. Shooting is just at such a premium right now that, and I think he's got that. Uh, Terrence Mann and Zach Norvell are my last two guys. Mann from Florida State, Norvell from Gonzaga, and I sort of wish I could combine the two into one player because then it would be a player I was really excited about. Uh, Terrence Mann has all the measurables that you want. Uh, He's got the type of size that you you would love to have in a shooting guard. Norvell has the shot and the scoring ability that I want in kind of like a six or seventh man, but just all the physical measurables are just very, yeah. very, 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 very yeah, poor. Six five
2: and a half in shoes for Norvell, six six wingspan, not great. But uh, no, the shooting. was I think pretty. he had like
1: a thirty percent or a thirty inch vert, mm-hmm. which he's got a little no poor no man's bats. Eric Gordon in him. Yeah. I think um, uh, but no,
2: Norvell was good in the scrimmages.
1: I think. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like DaQuan Cook. Um, oh no! But the sharpshooter, you know, maybe Cook could have had a bit better career if he'd come along right Daquan now. DaQuan but... Cook
2: was a huge recruit. I mean, he yeah. was part of the Odin team, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! Um, Did not think I would hear that name today.
1: But I love Norvell's shot. Like I think after Harrow, I'm I might be most confident in Norvell's three point shot uh, among the shooting guards slash wings. But it worried about the athleticism, man. Gosh man i'm just worried about the shot like okay. he's got everything else he just doesn't have the shot uh but i but i do like those two guys man is one of
2: those guys. guys like fall that was invited to the g league camp so maybe nba teams really do like him and that's why he wasn't <laughs> invited all right my guys brian bowen uh two time now my guy <laughs> uh a returnee to the combine looked much better this year uh after playing in in uh, i think new zealand or australia last year you know you know the story with him mm-hmm. He was kind of caught up in the the rick patino Um, issues at louisville weirdly transferred to south carolina for like a week everyone knew he was not going to be enrolled obviously got denied and then had to go overseas really intriguing size just like runs like an nba player uh has a really great looking shot that doesn't go down all that much has the odell beckham hair which is kind of the clincher for me had a really cool long (laughs) kind of like uh, the lead singer from System of a Down, like Goatee, sure. kind of going, which was really yeah. cool. Checks all the boxes. Checks all the boxes uh, <laughs> from a facial and hair appearance standpoint. Admiral Schofield, who we already touched on. I think uh, the name is a big part of it, uh, just Admiral. You know, it kind of speaks for itself. Bull Bull, uh, again, the name value.
1: How is he, Bull Bull one of your guys? I need You need to is, give more than 10
2: seconds on he this. He is always the guy. Like when, when I play, you know, back in my day when I would play NBA 2K, like if there was a guy in the second round who is 7 foot 3 and he was available I would draft him every time like why not like I just want to see what happens I have very low level of confidence that he's going to be good in fact I would bet I would bet that he plays less than 100 NBA games in his first 3 seasons yeah, I mean um, he's he's a, he's, bound he's a hurt. ticking time bomb yeah. from an injury standpoint. I think he's going to get hurt. We're going to find out that he was kind of loafing it on the conditioning. Yeah, sure. And he's just kind of going to melt away out of the league. In, I've like, heard five people. Years.
1: I've heard people say that he's the worst defensive big man they've ever seen. That's saying a lot. <laughs> so take him at number
2: eight, and you know, hopefully it works lock out. Him no, I, I don't think him he's going to be lottery. good. I just really want him to be good. I yeah. I know almost for a fact I mean, he's this draft's thon maker. Sure, I think okay. that's fair. Uh, and then my last guy and. The number one spot on my list right yeah. now, Kevin Porter. Number I mean, one with a bullet. Off-court issues, <laughs> check. Awesome. Uh, dreadlocks with like kind of has like the deer and fox where some of them like hang down, yeah, check. Yeah, yeah. Um, has like a crazy street ball game, check. Uh, had the, kind of he, like a coach's nightmare type of guy. He had love the that.
1: requisite dreadlocks to have been a featured guest on Life of Pablo. Sure.
2: Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be surprised if he was at that
1: Yeezy yeah. like Sunday service yeah. thing, yep. like for yep. sure was at Coachella, got suspended mysteriously Un- mid-season. Unlike, That's always a plus um, for me. Unlike Josh Jackson probably could have gotten into that yeah. uh, that exclusive concert right. that Josh Jackson was trying to get into. Cool enough to get into that show. Exactly. He's he's the type of guy
2: who I like there's always one of these guys every few years, Malik Monk, you know, it's kind of the comp for him where it's like he's he's really skinny, he's extremely skilled, he can score on anybody, but Can he do that against NBA defenses? Like, my heart says definitely not. (laughs) uh, But I really, really want him to be good, and he's going to go somewhere in the late lottery, Mm -hmm. and he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, like the best case for him is like good Jr. Smith. When Jr. Smith actually, uh, I was going
1: to say, I don't think he's going to go this high, but I would love to see him uh, play next to Colin Sexton.
2: Oh, sure, or be mentored by Jr. in Cleveland. Yeah, Yeah. maybe the Cavs trade down and get him. (laughs) we uh, got to get no, our guy. Kevin Porter, if you're not familiar, just watch the mixtapes. Like he's <laughs> He plays like James Harden, with the confidence of James Harden at the college level, which you don't really see all that often. Um, okay, final segment. I asked you to, since you're a baseball expert, you know more about baseball than anybody I know. As someone whose baseball knowledge has been on a steady decline since uh, they stopped releasing baseball video games for PS2, uh, I peaked in 05, MVP Baseball 05. Ever since then, it's been just slowly trickling down who are like the cool guys in baseball
1: right now that i should be trying to watch this summer now you you have very sort of strict criteria for that's right who qualifies like they can't be all-star level good
2: well they could uh, they could Can i they? guess i just don't i don't know you like I, I my knowledge embarrassingly is to the point where i might not even
1: know if they're do, all-star level do you know who like and I'm, this isn't just guys that i like i'm trying to sure list guys that you might like Thank uh you. do you know who fernando tatis jr is I know who Fernando Tatis Senior is. Yeah. yeah,
2: no, I know. I know about him. I've looked into him. I feel like Padres. he's, yeah. I
1: feel yep. like he's probably on the high end, sure. talent wise, of guys that would qualify. Yep, yep. Mel uh, Reyes, obviously. Yeah, found him myself. I, yeah. uh, I was the first <laughs> without, to discover any Fran help. Mill,
2: yeah. Kind of a, I, I described him as a Dominican
1: Adam Dunn. Yes, which, those are the type of guys I'm <laughs> yeah, looking yeah, for. Switch. Massive flaws in their game. Right. I think that that uh, sums him up pretty well. I'm. I mean, I honestly think he might be better than adam dunn uh but oh, it's also whoa, whoa. Dunn, let's not get crazy but, now <laughs> uh, you know ryan altapia another guy who probably could have been at the life life of pablo release party yep. um, he he checks the name and the look box yeah which is
2: big that's kind of what lastings millage is right. kind of the poster boy for that Right. sure um are there any like young randall simons like guys who you might see kind of getting into it with a mascot or a team
1: employee oh man hmm you know, that's unfortunately just kind of like the NBA, uh, that type of behavior is sort of getting phased out. Sucks. Um, I mean, do you do you like Tim Anderson at all? Is he like I
2: do. I I mean I is do. Is he a little like
1: too clean shaven?
2: Well, it feels like he's going a little too far with this. Like he's trying to be like the poster boy yeah, of bat sure, flips. Like sure. it was cool at first and now sure. and now he's like it's like three weeks later, he's still pushing this narrative. Sure. Um, the Phillies have that one guy, Oduble Herrera. Oduble I Herrera. I love him. Yeah. yeah. He kind of looks like Lil Yachty.
1: You're uh you're probably one of the only people that likes really? Bill Herrera. everyone hates him because of how well he he like bat flips walks and stuff that's incredible yeah, no, who would not like that um does he bat he's, flip also, he's, also, he's also um and now I, I tried to get you interested in Chris Paddock, pitcher for the Padres, but he's he's a little too country, I think. Uh, uh he, he celebrates strikeouts in a okay. in a pretty big way. What about that one guy for the White Sox, Kopic What's up with him? Go back. Uh on the men from Tommy John surgery, he's not gonna be back this year, but he uh, will be back next year, so that that one might be a twenty twenties Nick Whalen guy. Okay,
2: I'll keep him in mind. Yeah, I'm looking at baseball reference right now just guys that i kind of liked obviously christian yelich he's been he's been real fun uh i still like bryce harper i know people are people are down on the harp i like harper Um, but i i I will stand stand by him uh do you like do you like
1: vlad jr i know you have a Vlad Junior, but that one's like oh i
2: love lebron yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. uh no i i do love vlad jr i just i'm fascinated by his weight yeah oh yeah it's
1: very fascinating like i Um, I showed you that number What, what
2: was it like 260 yeah i mean he's and you're like, yeah, that's totally legit. Like, he's five ten. Yeah, well, hey,
1: I think he's I think he's six. He has I think like he's a six. lead butt. He's six. Is he really? He doesn't look six feet. Well, that's because he's wider than he is tall, but he's still six. They list him at. Oh, they list him at six two. Jeez. All right. Yeah, nah, that's not. That's, that's not accurate. Yeah, love to launch. <laughs> 6'2", 250. Okay. No, I, it's more like six foot two seventy. Okay.
2: Yeah, I would trust you on uh, Vlad Junior's weight over the over baseball reference. Yeah. back.